So you've heard the story of the Good Samaritan, right? I mean, even if you've never opened a Bible, you've heard of this Good Samaritan. We have laws named after the Good Samaritan. We have hospitals named Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan is a story in the Bible about this sort of unlikely hero who helps a complete stranger. And so Good Samaritan has become synonymous with helping. Someone who helps, you think of them and you might think of them as a Good Samaritan. But have you ever thought about the person sort of behind the story, this person, this, this good Samaritan? Not about what he did. You know what he did, he helped, but about who he is. Who is this guy? What was he doing when he found himself in a position to help? Where was he going when he stumbled across this stranger who needed help? What were his plans for that day? What got interrupted so that he could help. Today I want to look at this story that's probably pretty familiar to you. So if you've got a Bible with you, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Get your Bible out, turn it on, open it up, Luke chapter 10. We're in this series called Kingdom Movement, and we're talking about sort of the next chapter of life here at Faith Church. And you might think to yourself, boy, Kingdom Movement is a giant interruption. Like, think about it. So, I love Faith Church. We love Faith Church. This is, well, this is home for us, and the people here are like family, and our friends come here, and our kids love it here. We could easily think, why are we interrupting everything that is so great at Faith Church for this kingdom movement? Because this is a great place, right? And we're, we're doing a lot of things for God's kingdom. We're seeing him at work. We're seeing people baptized all the time. And we're sponsoring, partnering with missionaries all over the world who are proclaiming the good news of Jesus. We're doing outreach here in our community. We've got great ministries. We've got great small groups and, and great care ministries. And it would be easy to think, why are we interrupting all of that for something new? Because we hate interruption, interruptions, right? We hate being interrupted. I heard a lot as a kid, Brad, you're interrupting, stop interrupting. Why are we interrupting something so good for this kingdom movement? So Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at a story about an interruption that happens. We don't know the whole scene here. Jesus is likely in Jerusalem, and he's teaching his disciples like he normally does, but he's also talking to some of the Jewish religious leaders. And one of them goes, hey, 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 Jesus, I, I have a question. Jesus goes, yeah, shoot, let's hear it. And he stands up and he asks this question. Here's how it goes. Luke 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus responds and he says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus goes like, you're the lawyer. You tell me what's in God's law. So the man answers. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And in fact, this is exactly what the Jewish law says. This guy's a lawyer. He knows the law, and he cites it perfectly. He's quoting from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And so Jesus responds back to him, and he goes, look, you, yeah, you nailed it. You have answered correctly. He says, do this, 
and you will live. And I imagine Jesus turns to walk away. Like this conversation is over. Or he goes, hey, who's next? Somebody else got a question? But the guy won't, he won't leave it alone. He won't let it go. So verse 29 happens. He's, it says that he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus another question. He asked him and he says, and who is my neighbor? Right, remember, because it's love your neighbor as yourself. So the guy goes, all right, fine. I'll play along. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus is going to tell this story. And we're not sure if it's a parable or if it's a story. Historically, it's thought of as a parable. But it's full of lots of very specific details. It almost kind of reads like a story. Either way, Jesus is going to use this to, to, to paint a picture to answer this question, who's my neighbor? Because the man is saying, okay, fine, who am I supposed to love? Who's my responsibility? And so Jesus tells this story. He goes, well, let me give you a story because here's what it's going to look like. And so he tells him this, starting in verse 30. Jesus replies to him with this. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Now, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, well, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, and he poured on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And so Jesus goes, all right, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, and he says, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So, so you've probably heard this story before. A, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk into a bar. And, no. You got three guys, and they're, they're all walking down, down this road. And somehow they see something up ahead, kind of, is it an animal? Is it somebody left some garbage over there? No, no. It, they get closer. It looks like a person. This person is bloodied and beaten. He's been robbed, and he's just laying in a ditch along the side of the road. And so as the story goes, the first person that comes along is the priest. And you go, oh, good, good, good. Okay, a priest, the priest is going to help him. The priest has to help him. But the priest goes, ah, I, you know, I'm not really allowed to touch bloody, maybe dead bodies. There's that whole cleanliness, cleaning ritual stuff, and I was just at the temple in Jerusalem, and I just performed all my, all my holiness rituals, and so if I touched him, then I have to go back, and I'm on the way home, I'm, I'm sort of done with my shift, and I'm going home to, to eat dinner, and so he walks by on the other side of the road. Well, that's okay, because another guy's coming along. This guy's a Levite. Okay, good. He's a godly man. He's not a priest, so he doesn't have to follow all the same rituals, but, but he's a godly dude. He's like a, he's like a small group leader. Like, he's a good dude, you know, and so he's coming along, and, and he's going to help. He has to help. And the Levite goes, ah, 
kind of, I got something going in Jericho. I got to get there. And, you know, I mean, if I'm honest, like, I'm not a doctor. I don't have a first aid kit with me or anything. What, what can I really do? Like, I don't really have anything to offer this guy. And so the Levite just kind of walks by on the other side of the road. Finally, a third guy comes along. The way Jesus tells the story, this guy's a Samaritan. Now, you've got to know that the Jews hate the Samaritans. They literally call them half-breeds. They cannot stand them. They think they're less than them. The only way this story, you bring up a Samaritan, the only way this story ends well is if like a desert monster comes up out of the sand, eats the Samaritan, and sucks him back into the earth, the Samaritan gone. Like that's the only way this is going to go good, okay? So he goes, here's this Samaritan. He comes along, and what does he do? He walks across the road, and he at first kind of you know, nudges the guy, gives him a little kick. The guy kind of uh, moans. He, oh, he's alive. So the Samaritan, he pulls his shirt off and he starts ripping it into strips of fabric so that he can bandage this guy. He's putting bandages around this guy's wounds. When he's got him a little bit cleaned up, he goes and he, he scoops him up and the guy's bloody and he's dirty and he smells and he goes and he, and he puts him in the front seat of his car. On the leather seats, there's blood everywhere. It's gross, but it's fine. And he gets in the car and he drives him. He drives him to the Hilton and he goes to the front desk and he goes, I need a room. And, and then he leaves his credit card and he goes, anything the guy wants. Like, it's open season. If he breaks anything, it's okay. I'll come back and pay for it. Just, just take, take care of this guy. And Jesus tells this story and then he says, so now you go. You go and be like the Samaritan. That's the story. So who is this guy? This, this Samaritan guy. I mean, what's, what's he doing that he finds himself on this road where this almost maybe dead guy is? Where's he going? You know, this road from, from Jerusalem to Jericho, this road in between them, it's actually it's a known road. It still exists today. In fact, archaeologists have excavated along this road, and they've found the remains of an ancient, what appears to be some sort of an inn. And so it seems that what Jesus is describing is a real place. People would be imagining it in their minds. They would know what he's talking about. But this road was incredibly dangerous in the first century. It's called, they called it, the locals called it the way of blood. Because what happened is robbers would kind of camp out up on top of the road and then down below as well. And they would wait for people to travel this road that they could attack. And often people would be traveling this road. They'd be going to Jerusalem and they'd be taking offerings to go to the temple. And so they'd have money with them. They'd have possessions with them. They'd have everything they own sometimes with them. And they were easy marks. And so the robbers would... The robbers would, would attack them. It was this super dangerous road. And it was really difficult terrain. The road is it's about an 18-mile uh, journey. And the elevation change over that time is 3,500 feet from up in Jerusalem to down into Jericho. And so whether you're walking up or down, it's hard work. It's a, it's a hard trip. You don't travel this road very often. You don't travel this road unless you have to. You certainly don't travel this road alone unless you have a very good reason. So what's his reason? What's the Samaritan doing out there? I don't know. Maybe, you know, I imagine maybe he was working for the past couple of months in, in Jerusalem and he was finally getting a little bit of a break to go home and see his family. 
Or maybe he was out of work and he had a job interview in Jericho and he had fallen on hard times but if he could just get there and nail this interview then everything was was gonna turn around everything was gonna be okay maybe he had a relative that he wanted to go see uh, maybe his maybe his mother was dying and he wanted to get there to see her one more time there's got to be a reason that he's on that road and it has to be something important or he wouldn't have been out there it's 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 too dangerous it's got to be something significant. It's got to be a priority. Yet, whatever it was, whatever it was, it wasn't too important for him to be interrupted by this dying man in a ditch. Whatever reason had him out there, though significant, whatever it was, he was willing to interrupt it for this stranger, this bloodied stranger laying on the side of the road. And the natural question is, why would he do that? If he had something good going on, if he had something important to get to, why would he care about this stranger who might already be dead? Why did he let that interrupt whatever he was going to? And, and I, think, I think the point that Jesus is trying to make with this story is that in God's kingdom, people are never an interruption. See, we get so frustrated by being interrupted. We get so frustrated by interruptions, but in God's kingdom, the greatest currency is not money, it's not health, it's not tradition, it's not fame. Nothing is more important than people. It's, it's people. And so Jesus is going, look, you can be like this priest. You can be all about religion. You can nail religion. You can be like the Levite. You can be all about tradition. You could even be like the lawyer where you have it all together. You know every answer. But until you realize that people are the most important thing, that people are what God cares about most, you will not understand the kingdom of God. And there's something about the Samaritan that he gets it. Whatever he was going to do, it had to be important, again, or he wouldn't have been out there by himself. It had to be significant, but whatever he was going to do, though almost nothing could interrupt it, a man dying on the side of the road was worth stopping for. He couldn't just walk by and not help. You see, that's sort of the heart of kingdom movement that there are people in need in our community, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. And we can help. We can't just walk by and assume that someone else, it's okay, someone else will stop and do it. We can't keep going because, you know, we can't be interrupted from what we're doing, Faith Church, because it's really important. No. People are the most important. And people will never be an interruption. So, for example, do you know that in the, right now, in the Lehigh Valley, one in five people are struggling with some form of mental illness? One in five people. So in the Lehigh Valley, there are 598, currently 598, mental health professionals. Just to get... To, to an average, to the national average, not to get to a place where we're like, 
we're crushing this. Just to get to a place where we're average, the national average, we need another 130. We need, that's how many we need today, right now. And as the population grows, that number is expanding. The Lehigh Valley needs access to professional care and counseling. So you might not know, but um, here at Faith Church, we do some of that care and counseling. In fact, in the month of January, Pastor Greg and his team of counselors right here inside Faith Church had more than 500 appointments just in the month of January. So you're like, where do they do that? We actually have a counseling wing. It's over. It's underneath the chapel in 2018 and 2019. We built a counseling wing, a number of offices and, and some administrative space. We got four counseling offices down there. It opened about 10 months ago. It's full. They're out of space. We have seven counselors working down there. It's not enough. We need more. So about a year ago, we launched a, a task force of professionals who are putting together a plan to start an off-site counseling center where we can give more people access to professional, compassionate care and counseling, where we can give them more access to Jesus, a place where we can take insurance, a place where people who will never walk inside a church can go and get help. We see it as a, a place where people who feel like they're lying in a ditch and everyone's just walking by, a place where they can get help. Because right now in the Lehigh Valley, if you needed to see a mental health professional, you would wait on average seven to ten months. Imagine talking to someone who's anxious, who's confused, who's suicidal, who's depressed, and telling them, you know the way you feel? For the next ten months, it's not going to get any better. For the next 10 months, you're not going to feel any better. There's really nothing that we can do to help. Are you kidding me? Like, that's unacceptable for our community. We can't allow that. We can do something. It's going to be hard. It's going to cause us to pray and prioritize. But what's the alternative? That we just kind of look the other way and keep walking? No, we've got more important things to do. What? To say it's not our problem? Someone else will come along and help? No. We can't do that. You know, there's another piece that we're looking at, another problem that we've identified. In the Lehigh Valley, there are 640,000 people with 359 churches to serve them. So you, you do the math, you're better at that than I am, but if, I don't know, half the Lehigh Valley wanted to go to church next Sunday, just half, how many seats would each church have to average to house them all? We don't have enough seats in churches in the Lehigh Valley. There are not enough God-glorifying, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-empowered churches in our community. So this kingdom movement will start another faith church campus, not to alleviate our attendance problems on this campus, but to give more people access to Jesus. We believe that the best way to do that is by starting another campus within 25, about 25 minutes of here. You go, why 25 minutes? Well, every week, 
There are people driving 30, 40, 60 minutes even to come to church. Imagine that one of those folks wanted to bring a friend or wanted to invite their neighbor. And, and imagine their neighbor says, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go. So they get in the car and they go, where are we going? Well, it's a 45-minute drive. They're going, like, what? why are we going so far? I don't want to do that. So we started another task force, and they've been researching the spiritual climate of the valley. We've narrowed it down to three possible areas that we're, that we're looking at. Because these areas, we feel like these areas need a church where people can connect to a church family, where they can hear about Jesus. And so our goal is that sometime this year we'll bring a campus pastor onto our team, onto our staff, and he'll start to learn the culture and he'll build a team of people to go and, and launch this site sometime in, in next year, in 2021. And this site will have the DNA of Faith Church and it will have the ministries of Faith Church. It will have great ministries for, for kids and for students and it will have small groups and we'll have incredible worship there. And the only difference will be that the sermon will be streamed from, from this campus. And we're going to ask some of you to go. We're going to challenge 100, 200, 300, 400 of you to go and be a part of this new work. Because here's the thing, people are spiritually dying without Jesus. They have no church family. They have no Jesus in their life and they feel like they've been beaten and left for dead. And we can't simply walk by and pretend like the problem doesn't exist or like someone else will deal with it. And yeah, you might go, I love Faith Church. This is a giant interruption in everything that I love and we've got, a, we've got this great thing going here. I get that. The people are never an interruption. Turn the story around. Do you realize that you and I were once the person lying in the ditch? This story, this parable is a picture of you and I as the person lying in the ditch, bloodied by life, robbed of joy, left for dead with no hope for life. And then this guy named Jesus walks across the road. He picks us up and he cleans us off and he pays for our brokenness on the cross. And he gave us life. And if he didn't do that, if he hadn't intervened, we'd be dead in a ditch. Now, Faith Church, I believe that God is asking us to do the same, to cross that road, to give people more access to Jesus. And right now, it feels, it feels like an interruption, and it's a lot of work. But the person lying in the ditch, your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your family member, they're not an interruption. They need Jesus, and we can give them access to Jesus, and God wants to use us to bring them access to life and hope through Jesus. So over the past couple of weeks, Pastor Joe has been challenging us. Very simply, he's said, talk to God. In fact, he said this thing that has just resonated with me. He said, talk to Dad. Talk to dad about this because God wants us to look at him like the perfect father. And so if we have a problem, we should go and talk to dad about it. And this is a big project. 
I mean, to, to, to maximize this campus, to build an online ministry, to, to start an off-site counseling center, to launch another faith church site, to go across the world and plant a church and translate in a Bible in a language that has never said the name Jesus, and to do it all at the same time? Like, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? We need God. We can't do this on our own. And so Pastor Joe has encouraged us, he's challenged us to talk to God and to just ask him, what's my kingdom move? And so I hope you've been doing that. I hope you've been talking to God. I hope that you've been talking with your friends, maybe in your small group. I hope you've been talking as a family and saying, what is our kingdom move? I hope that you'll continue to talk to God in the weeks ahead. And as you think about the next steps, and as you're talking to God, you might be starting to think, well, what do I, what do, I do after I talk to God? We want to give you some help on that. We want to give you sort of a little bit of instruction. So watch this. So by now you've heard about kingdom movement. This idea that we believe God is calling Faith Church to give more people access to Jesus. And this is a big goal. This is a big initiative. We believe God's asking us to raise the funds necessary. Eight million dollars, that's a lot of money. But to advance his kingdom, we know his kingdom is going to come. We know it's going to happen and we get to be a part of it. And so what I've just asked you to do is consider talking to dad about this. Talk to God and ask him what your role is. And by now I hope that's what you've been doing. You've been asking God what your part is in this kingdom movement. And at some point you start asking, wondering, considering, does finances play a part in what you can do to advance the kingdom of God? Can you help us reach this $8 million goal? No sales pitch, talk to God about it. But as you think about that, some of you, you're not giving to Faith Church. And that's cool, that's fine. Maybe this kingdom movement is about you deciding to start giving. Some of you give kind of randomly. It's like, hey, things are good this month, I have some left over. Maybe it's time for you to commit to regularly giving to Faith Church, and that's your kingdom move. Some of you put Faith Church in your budget. It's a priority to you. Maybe it's time for you to think about expanding that, and that's your kingdom move. Some of you have already expanded your giving, and you give substantially. Is there a sacrifice that you would make in your assets to consider your kingdom move? Wherever you are on the spectrum, whatever God leads you to do, take a step, and that's your kingdom move. So as you talk to God about this, whatever he's telling you to do, grab a commitment card and use the commitment card to tell us what he's calling you to do. You open up a commitment card to this green page. There's a series of questions that's gonna lead you through. What's my current yearly giving to Faith Church? For some of you, that's gonna be zero because you're not currently giving or you're giving kinda randomly. Well, that's okay. What's my expanded kingdom movement gift? Write that down. Then you add that up and multiply it by two and that's your 24 month commitment to this kingdom movement. And there's a spot for assets. Maybe you're the person that's got a fleet of Learjets and maybe you'll just liquidate one and put that here. No, seriously, stocks maybe. There's something you have that you want to also include in your commitment and that all totals up to your two year kingdom move commitment. We all have a move we can make and this card helps you to show us what that is.
Once you fill out your commitment card, we also want you to turn it over and there's a section for you to write your prayer. What God has written on your heart for this kingdom movement. We want to know that and you bring this commitment card in with you to Faith Church. You also get to keep this really cool little poster thingamajiggy that reminds you that God is going to move his kingdom forward and he's going to do it through you. You know, we, we honestly believe that if we just talk to God, that He's going to lead us. Because here's the thing, this is not our idea. This kingdom movement is God's idea. And so if He's calling our church family towards it, He's going to lead us. He's going to take care of us. He's going to show us the way. We believe that more people need access to Jesus. And church, we've got a great thing going on here. And it could feel like well, this is getting in the way. This is an interruption. But at Faith Church, we will never believe that people are an interruption. But that God is going to use us to keep giving more people access to Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I am so grateful that Jesus walked across the road that you didn't leave us lying in a, in a ditch, beaten down by life, robbed of our joy, left for dead. I thank you for your son Jesus who walked across the road, who picked us up, who paid the bill for our brokenness, for our sin on the cross. God, thank you that you didn't look at us and say, ah, they're just, a, they're just an interruption. I've got more important things to do. God, for decades now, you have been so generous and so faithful to, to Faith Church, and we have seen your kingdom move. God, we're, we're just asking you to do it again. We're asking you to provide for us. We're asking you to lead us and show us the way through this kingdom movement. God, if there's anyone here today who, who feels like they're that person lying in the ditch, they are beaten up by life, they have no joy, no hope, God, would you speak to them right now? Would you show them the love of Jesus who crosses the road, who would do anything to show us how much you love us? God, thank you that you go with us. Thank you that you're always with us, walking with us, leading us. It's through Christ I pray. Amen.